Enjoy death. Doesn't that sound exciting already? Enjoy death. Uh, I did some research. I researched Yale University, Harvard, Cambridge, and a lot of other colleges. And you can do research yourself. But I've discovered that so far, the death rate is 100%. Everybody is going to die. Everyone in this room is going to die. How exciting is that? It could be today. Um, but here's, here's the good news. Um, is your spirit's going to live forever. Really, who you are is going to live forever. But your, your body, your, your, your earth suit is going to die. Um, you are a spirit. Remember when God said, I knew you before you were born? What he meant was, I knew you before I gave you an earth body. I knew you're a spirit. You have a soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your personality is your soul. That's what you have. But you live in a body. If I were to take my suit off today, not in front of all of y'all, but if I were to take it off, and I were to lay it here on the ground, if you walk by this suit, you would not say, oh, there's John Paul. You wouldn't say that. You said, that's, that's what he was wearing, okay? We are wearing an earthly body. We're going to get a new one when we get to heaven. So this is not really death for us. We'll die in our bodily life, but our spirit's going to live forever. But here's the thing I want to tell you about today, is you're actually going to be dying very, very soon. Very close from now, you're going to die. And we use the word close and nearby and soon when we're comparing something, and based on what we're comparing determines if we use those words or not in our vernacular. In other words, if this extension cord right here represents how long you're going to live for all of eternity. I mean, it goes on and on. Imagine it goes out of the building, it wraps around the world a million times over again. This represents how long you are going to live. You're going to live forever and ever. Even if you're not saved, you're going to live forever and ever. It'll just be apart from God in hell, but you're going to live forever and ever. You see this part right here, little plug part? This represents how long you're going to live on earth compared to how long you're going to live in heaven. We get so stressed out about things that happen in here. We get so uptight, anxious, and upset, and discouraged about things that are happening in here. The things that are happening in here that are going to last forever are the things that we really don't pay much attention to. Maybe on a Sunday morning for about an hour. Other than that, the rest of our life are things that don't matter at all. The truth is, you may not be here tomorrow. We're all going to pass away. So my question is, what are you doing during this time that's going to last for all of this time? Because the way your haircut is, the fact that you can afford the blue car or the black car, where you eat at for dinner later on, uh, where you go on vacation this year, none of that stuff matters at all. That is all things that are in here that have nothing to do with this. What are you doing in your life now that is going to last forever? Now, I don't know about you, but I am actually very excited about dying. I think about it often because I wrote a book on heaven. And um, it's just going to be the most amazing thing you could ever imagine. I get so excited about it sometimes when I'm really discouraged or going through hard times. I'll actually think, God, just take me home. I just, I'm just ready. I don't know if any of y'all have ever battled that in your whole life. Don't raise your hand, but you know what? Make me feel a little bit better. Has anybody ever thought, God, just take me home now? Okay. I trust you'll take care of my kids. I'd like to see them grow up, but you know what? I'll trust you'll take care of my wife. I'd like to grow old with her one day, but you know what, God? Just take me home. I am so excited to spend all of eternity with you. I could go right now. The Apostle Paul actually battled that. And in, first, in, uh, in Philippians 1, 21 through 24, he said this, what is life? To me, I'm living, I'm living 
for Christ. The whole point of me living is so I can win people to Jesus, build the kingdom of God, serve God. But if that's true, then death will actually bring me more of Jesus. I'll get to be in his presence forever. I'll get to enjoy him forever. But if by continuing to live, I can do more worthwhile work, I don't know which one I should choose. I'm pulled in two directions. I, I, I want very much to leave this crappy life with this mortal body with all these problems and issues and stresses and discouraging things. And it's a far better thing if I leave this earth and go to heaven. However, for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the people that I haven't won to the Lord yet, for the sake of the sermons I haven't preached yet, for the sake of the leaders I need to train up, for the sake of the friends that don't really know the way to heaven, for the sake of the ministry, it's much more important that I remain alive on earth until my time comes. Um, in a few months, Micah and I are going to Bermuda. Uh, Bermuda is an is a incredibly high-class island. It's a, it's a country. It's not in the Bahamas. It's actually off the coast of uh, North Carolina. It's, it's all by itself, middle of nowhere, in between North Carolina and England. It's actually owned by England. Very small island. And it's like market common on steroids. I mean, it's the most beautiful, um, high-class, amazing place in the world. And I love, and I love the, the people there, the, the men. They all wear nice ties and shirts and jackets with shorts. That's just how they do it. They wear with shorts. So I love going there because, you know, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and his face was glowing with God's power, that's what it's like when I put on shorts. And so um, they just see my legs and they start speaking in tongues, I think. That's what they're saying. Anyway, and so we're going, I'm going there to speak and to talk about my book. And um, the flights are free. The room and board is taken care of. And one of the pastors owns a restaurant, so we get free food. Okay, if I was telling you, hey, y'all are invited. Free vacation to Bermuda. Would you be excited about that? You should be more excited about heaven. You should be more prepared about your free trip to heaven than you are coming with me to Bermuda. So I have three points for you today. I'm going to give them to you backwards. Not dyslexic backwards, but like I'm going to start with three and go down to one, okay? <laughs> dyslexic, um, okay, anyway, so um, I'm going to start with number three and take to one, and you'll know why at the end of the sermon. So I have three points for you today on enjoy death. For your notes, the first point, number three is this, heaven is waiting. Jesus mentions heaven 70 times in the book of Matthew alone. There are 54 out of 66 books in the Bible that talk all about heaven. The first scripture in the whole Bible in Genesis 1-1 says God created heaven and earth. If you believe in earth, you must believe in heaven. Because the same Bible that taught us who created earth is the same Bible that taught us who created heaven. And if you believe that God created earth, you must believe he created heaven. Heaven is a physical place. Physical place. It says in Hebrews 11:10 that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has fixed foundations whose builder and maker is God himself. It's a physical place. And if you have loved ones that, but that had a relationship with Jesus, they're in heaven right now in this physical place. It says in Revelation 21, 21, the street of the city of heaven is pure gold, transparent as glass. You're going to get a new body when you get to heaven. Everybody say, thank God I get a new body. Paul, oh, listen, my body, I'm getting some miles on this thing. 
I mean, I'm getting, I got, I got some flat tires. I mean, I need the old change. Like it's getting, I'm getting to be 40 years old. Philippians 3:21. He'll change our weak and mortal bodies and make them just like His glorious body. Now, this own glorious body refers to His resurrected body. Jesus was on earth in His heavenly body for 40 days before He ascended into heaven. So, if we're going to have a body like His, we have to ask ourselves, what was His body like? You ready to learn? Jesus ate and drank in his heavenly body. We're going to get to eat in heaven. Jesus traveled at the speed of thought in his heavenly body here on earth. Jesus talked, he walked, he traveled, he listened, and he saw in his heavenly body. We're going to have our senses. Jesus went through a wall. Remember when the disciples were in the upper room, the door was locked. Jesus came walking through the wall in his heavenly body. We're going to be able to walk through walls in our heavenly body. We'll have a new body. You can't even imagine having a body without any pain, without any fear, without any discouragement. Imagine a body where you're never, where you can travel at the speed of thought. Uh, you, can, you can look at different galaxies and you can learn and ask questions and, 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 and just hang out with people all the time. Luke 9, 29 through 34 says this. Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the mountain of transfiguration. While Jesus was praying, the appearance of his countenance became altered. His clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, saw Moses, Elijah, in heavenly glory, talking about Jesus' exodus. Here's what I want you to see from this. God brought Moses and Elijah down from heaven to hang out. When Moses and Elijah are down from heaven on earth, hanging out, Peter knew who they were. We get a new body. We'll keep our ethnicity, it says in Revelation, but we get a new body. So how will we recognize each other? Because listen, even, even if we didn't get a new body, Peter still wouldn't have recognized them because Moses and Elijah were thousands of years before, but Peter knew them. So I'm going to teach you, and i got a lot of scriptures that I can prove it. I do it in my book, but I'm going to teach you how we know each other. We will not know each other by our bodies. Oh, that's so-and-so because he's six foot two and... He's got brown hair. No, no, no. We'll know each other based on how we served Jesus on earth. There'll be a knowing. You will know when you see Martin Luther King Jr. You'll know when you see Abraham Lincoln. You'll know when you see Mother Teresa. You'll know when you see George Washington. You'll know these people not by how they look, but there'll be a knowing of, oh, this is Moses. He's the one that parted the Red Sea. This is Joshua. He's the one that led him into the Promised Land. This is Elijah, the great prophet that helped serve with Elisha. We'll know them based on what we did on earth. Here's another thing I want you to see. Uh, Moses and Elijah, they knew what was happening on earth from heaven. People in heaven, it shows us in Revelation 6 as well, people in heaven can see what's going on on earth. And they are incredibly, they are incredibly and passionately concerned about what is going on in your life here on earth. Moses and Elijah knew that Jesus was about to make his exodus. They knew he was about to send in heaven. They knew what was going on on earth. The people that have gone on before you are incredibly, incredibly passionate about what is going on in your life right now. But listen, they're not concerned with the same things you're concerned with. They are not concerned whether you get the red car or the white car. They're not concerned if you get the raise at work or don't get the raise. They're not concerned if you have a bad hair day or a good hair day. They're not concerned if somebody hurt your feelings. They're not concerned if you feel a little bit down. Here's what they're concerned with. They're concerned with if you're serving Jesus to your full potential. 
They're concerned with if you're leading the lost to Jesus who God has put in your life. They're concerned with if you're forgiving people very quickly. They're concerned with if you're showing mercy to people who need mercy. They're very concerned with, very concerned with the exact same things that Jesus is concerned with in your life. Matthew 8, 11, I assure you that many will come from everywhere to enjoy the feast. Everybody say feast. feast. That's the best point of the day. Enjoy the feast and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You'll get to sit down and say, Moses, what was it like when you faced Pharaoh? David, tell me about the time that you stood before Goliath. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what was it like when you were in the fiery furnace? Mary, tell us about whenever you raised baby Jesus. Whenever you, he was a toddler and you were giving him a bath and he didn't want to take a bath, would he just sit on top of the water? You tried to put him in the bathroom. He's just sitting on top. I'm not taking a bath today. You're getting that water, Jesus. And he's like, nope, I'm sitting right on top of it. <laughs> what was it like? And listen, because there's no more time, you'll never have to give up old friends. You'll always continue to learn and have new and fun relationships without giving up the old ones. Revelation 21.4, there's no more death in heaven. No more death. You'll never have to worry, am I going to miss this person if I go travel to this galaxy? You'll get to come back at the speed of a thought. So people say, um, will I be married in heaven? In other words, if my, if my spouse on earth died, or if I um, went through a divorce and I got remarried, who am I going to be married to in heaven? That's a great question. You will be married in heaven. You'll be married to Jesus. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. The institution of marriage will be no more in heaven. It'll be better. The relationship you had with your spouse or your next spouse or your ex or whatever will be better than it had ever been on earth when you're in heaven. It says in Revelation 21, 27, nothing impure will enter heaven. Imagine having a relationship with no fear, with no insecurity with no worry or doubt. Imagine having relationships with ultimate joy, ultimate peace, ultimate love. Never a relationship where you're jealous, no envy, no comparison. Imagine having a pure and holy relationship with somebody. We don't even know what that's like. We have no idea, no idea. There'll be jobs in heaven. Everybody gets it. Now, see, on earth we call it jobs. It's actually referred to as service. Do you know that if you have a job on earth, it, nowhere in the Bible does it talk, say, oh, you got a job. It says you get to serve and get paid to do it. You get to serve Jesus wherever you work at on earth, and you get paid to do it. You get paid to have integrity where you work and represent God. You get paid to build influence with people that are lost so at some point you can invite them to church. You get paid to serve Jesus at your workplace here on earth. And in heaven, we're going to get to serve for all of eternity. And your service in heaven is based on how well you served the body of Christ on earth. Uh, Luke 19, 17, the kingdom of God's like this. My excellent servant, you've been faithful with little things. I'm going to make you governor over ten cities. There's going to be more than just the city of heaven. There'll be galaxies and planets with cities all over the place. Some of y'all are going to be in charge of 10 cities. Some of y'all are going to be in charge of cleaning the floor in the offices in some of those cities based on how well your service here is on earth. You know, in America, we're so, we're so caught up with this little part right here and things that don't really matter, and we don't realize this, 
greatly affects this. You know, in Jamaica, when we go there on missions trips, man, their whole week is based on Sunday morning. Their whole week. Wherever they work at, it's all about who can I invite to church, who can I bring to church. They get their food ready, their clothes, their outfits. They walk miles and miles just to worship for hours and hours and pray together for hours. Don't be surprised if one of those little old ladies in Jamaica is up in heaven, governor over ten cities, and you see me, your pastor, with a mop and a broom cleaning her office. Because we get so concerned with things that don't matter at all when all of heaven is waiting on us. Mark 10, 14, there's children in heaven. Abortion babies, stillborn children. Jesus said, the little children come unto me because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I can prove it with David and his child. I can prove it with Job and his children. Children are in heaven. Um, I read a story once about this young girl named um, Emma. She was five or six years old, and she had a life-threatening disease. And after being in the hospital for several months, um, the doctors came in, and they gave the parents the news first, who gave Emma the news that she was going to be dying very soon. She immediately just burst into tears. She was shaking in fear. Her parents reminded her about children's church and the things she learned about Jesus as much as a five-year-old can learn. Um, but as they were sitting there in the, ho- in the hospital room, didn't know what to do. So all the family was there. There's maybe 20, 23, 24 people. They all walked out in the hallway of the hospital. And one by one, each family member came into the hospital room and stood around Emma's bed until the entire family was in the room. And her mom told her, honey, that's what heaven's going to be like. You're going to go before us. And then we're going to come in one by one until the whole family's here with you. It was a great analogy, but what could have made it better is if they had somebody already in the room representing Jesus, filled with unconditional love. If they had somebody in there representing the angels, ready to serve Emma any moment she needs anything in heaven. If they had the great saints of old and her relatives that have already gone on to be with the Lord there in the hospital room before the family came in, and if the hospital room was the, most breath, was the most breathtakingly beautiful place in existence, and if there were doors that led to galaxies for Emma to explore, now that would have been a true analogy. Heaven is waiting on us. Luke 15, 7 says this, there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents over 99 people who don't need to repent. Let me say it to you like this. When you get to heaven, they'll be rejoicing. But there's more rejoicing when you stay on earth and you're part of a ministry that leads people to Christ. There's more rejoicing when you're part of that on earth than when you arrive in heaven. Point number two is this. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming for every single one of us. It says in Hebrews 9.27, everyone has to die once and after that, be judged by God. There's actually two judgments. You cannot enter into heaven without going through these two judgments. It's called the judgment of faith is the first one, and the judgment of works is the second one. The judgment of faith determines where you spend eternity. The judgment of works determines how you spend eternity. Um, And this happens immediately. The second you die, the very second your body dies, if the Holy Spirit is in your life, it it connects with your spirit and it takes your soul, which is your personality, your mind, will, emotions, to heaven. 
Remember Jesus told the guy on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise today. So these judgments don't last very long. The first one is your belief. I believe it's going to be something like this. God says, okay, why should I let you in heaven? And then he looks at me and says, oh, I see. The blood of Jesus is surrounding your life. You're in. I believe it's that quick. The judgment of faith. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says for us, by free grace. Everybody say free. free. We like free stuff. When you see something on, on Facebook that's free, you know you be messaging somebody, I'll pick it up tomorrow. If by free grace, you're saved through faith. If the salvation is not because of any single work you did. It has nothing to do with your works. Nothing you did. It's a gift of God. You're not going to heaven for nothing you did. But now if I had a $20 bill here and I said it's for free, $20 bill is for you, and I sat it here, the truth is that $20 bill could be there for hundreds of years and you never pick it up. The question is, have you picked it up? Have you received it? Have you received the free gift? The second you die, it's heaven or hell. That's the first judgment, judgment of faith. Now, I will say this. I believe this will be the greatest moment in your existence. I say moment. I don't know if it'll be five minutes, five seconds, five hours. It'll be the greatest moment in your existence, the judgment of faith. Now, the judgment of works, I believe, will be the worst moment of your entire existence. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each one can receive his reward according to what he did in his body, good or evil, considering his purpose, motive. Why does you serve? Why does you sing in the choir? Why does you do this? Why does you help out with this group? Why does you tithe? What was your reason behind it? Did you do it for Jesus or did you want to be seen or heard? Your motives and what you've achieved, been busy with, and given your attention to accomplishing. This is the second judgment. Why do I think this will be the worst moment in your existence? Because I believe that we focus so much on things that don't even matter at all. There's no importance to it. You know, we, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we treat people, and we don't realize it matters how you live under the people say this. Well, here's what I've heard people say. And I, actually, you know, that's a lie. This is what I used to say back in the day. I say this. I'm going to live however I want to live. And I'm going to get saved like when I'm 90 years old. I'm going to wait till I'm really old. I've done whatever I want to do with my life. Then I'm going to give my heart to Jesus so I can go to heaven. Okay, there's two things wrong with that. Number one, the motive behind it is wrong. The motive behind it is just not correct. Okay, here's the second thing is this. You might die in your sleep. And you might not have had a chance. And here's the third thing that's wrong with it. Let's say you do that. And let's say that that is salvation. You do receive it. You're telling me all this time on earth you could have been gathering up rewards for heaven. You could have been determining where you're going to work for all of eternity. The Bible says don't store uh, riches for yourself on earth, but store up treasures in heaven. There's treasures in heaven that are stored up in a bank account with your name on it. Every time you give, every time you serve, every time you forgive, every time you love, every time you, you worship, every time you praise, every time you clap your hands for Jesus, every little thing you do, believe me, it's in an account. And you get it on the second judgment. The judgment of works. Here's my question. What are you doing that will actually last for all of eternity? What are you doing that will actually last? In other words, that will actually stay with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. What are you doing? Um, I heard somebody say this past week, you can spend your life any way you want to spend it, but you can only spend it once. You can spend your life any way you want to spend it, 
but you can only spend it once. So number three, heaven is waiting. Number two, judgment day is coming. And you know what? Let me, I want to tell you this. I read a book a while back uh, on heaven, and this guy had a dream. And I believe this is what it's going to be like for us, I hope. But this guy, um, he all of a sudden, he, he woke up, and he was in a giant room that was like a library. And it was filled with storage cabinets, like um, file cabinets, from ceiling to the floor. I mean, just hundreds of them. And he was all by himself, and he knew that he had died on earth, and he was waiting to get into heaven. And so he thought, what am I doing here? And so he went to one of the file cabinets, and he opened it up, and it was filled with index cards, three by seven, index cards. I mean, every, every, every file cabinet had hundreds of them. There were thousands of them. He thought, this is so weird. So he pulled one of the index cards out, and on it, it had his name and a sin that he committed in the past that was very embarrassing to him. He read that, he thought, oh my goodness, and he put it right back in the and closed the door. So he went to the next file cabinet, and he pulled out another card, and this time, it had a lie that he told when he was five years old with his name on the card. He thought, well, that's embarrassing. He put that back and closed the door. It wasn't long until he figured out every single file cabinet was filled with every single sin that he ever committed since the day he was born on earth. I mean, the times he had lustful thoughts, the times he cussed, the times he lost his temper, everything. His name on it and the sin. About that time, there was a knock on the door. He ran to kind of shove it closed so nobody would come in. And all of a sudden, Jesus opened up the door. And he thought, oh, no. This is the last person who I want to be in this room with me. He said, Jesus, what are you doing here? Let's get out of here. Come on, let's go. Jesus said, no, not yet. He said, no, come on. You don't want to be in here. It's boring. It's just file cabinets. Let's get out. Let's go ahead to heaven. Jesus said, no, not yet. Jesus went over to one of the file cabinets to open it up, and the man started crying. Please, please, Jesus, please don't open this. You don't want to see what's in there. It's no, just, just forget about it. Jesus opened it up and pulled out one of the cards. It had the man's name on it with the time that he was unfaithful in his life. He said, Jesus, this is so embarrassing. Please, please don't read it. Please put it back in there, please. All of a sudden, Jesus pulled out a pen with red ink. And he crossed out the man's name. And he signed his own name, Jesus. And he wrote, paid in full. Put it back in the file cabinet. Took out another card. A time that the man cheated somebody out of money in a business deal. Crossed out his name, wrote Jesus, paid in full. Took out another card, a time that he had lied, Jesus, paid in full. Another card, on and on, after every single card in the entire room had the man's name crossed. The man was saying, Jesus, is not even your room. You don't need to do this. This doesn't even belong to you. This is my fault. These are my sins. Until every single card in the whole room had the man's name crossed out with Jesus, paid in full. When Jesus got done with it, he looked at the man. He said, it's finished. Pulled him up by the hands, walked him out of the room, and into heaven. I would like to think that's what our day of judgment is going to be like. Point number one, and this is a quick one. Death will Death will happen. The truth is, we may not be here tomorrow. We may not be here tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You may not be here the rest of the day. Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon, really this point, really, it's not theologically accurate. Because if you're saved, then you've already died. 
You've already died to self. So really, you're not going to die. You're just going to get a new body. You're actually going to live forever. And the thing that reminds me of this is in the Garden of Eden in um, Genesis 2, verse 17, God told them, he said, Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you shall surely die. Now the scripture says that day you'll die. They ate from it, but Adam lived to be 930 years old. So was God lying? How did he die? Here's how he died. His spirit died. Who he really was, who she really was, died that day. And thank God, through the blood of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did, we can live forever. But before Jesus died on the cross, they, their spirit was dead. Their spirit was dead. And so I thought about it, and I'll close with this story, but I thought, what if, what if the day that Satan came into the garden what if Adam and Eve were on opposite sides of the garden that day? Now we know they weren't. We know biblically that they were together. We know that they both ate from it. But let's just assume that they were not on the same side of the garden. Okay, let's just assume that. And Eve ate from the apple, ate from the tree by herself. Maybe a conversation like this occurred between God Son, I hate to tell you this, but the bride that I created for you is sin. And she has to die. But God, I don't want her to die. She's my bride. I love her. I want to be with her forever. Sorry, son. The wages of sin is death. I'm a perfect God. She is now imperfect. She can't, she's going to be apart from me forever. She has to die. And that conversation didn't happen between God and Adam. But I believe it did happen between God and the second Adam, Jesus. Son, I hate to tell you this, but the bride that I created for you is sin. And your bride has to die. But dad, I don't want her to die. You made her just for me. I want to be with her forever. Please don't let her die. Son, she has to die. The wages of sin is death. She has to die. Within well, dad, let me die. Four. Are you sure you want to do that, son? Oh, Dad, I love her so much. Please let me die for my bride. And because Jesus was beaten, we can be healed. Because Jesus was nailed on a cross, we can be free. And because Jesus died and rose again, we actually don't have to die. We get to live forever. Revelation 118, Jesus said, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death and hell. Friends, you do not have to die. The choice is yours. Every person in this room will get the destiny that they chose. I can't choose for you. 
Your parents can't choose for you. Your friends can't choose for you. The choice is totally, completely yours. Amen?